Thanks for joining me, Pete Holterman, for the Credentials Only Podcast, where you are introduced to people who work in sports. Today's guest is Cara Banks. For the past five years, Cara has been a host on Golf Channel, where she started on Morning Drive, which, with its airtime of 7 a.m., meant waking up in the 3 a.m. hour. That's how I would explain it to people. I said it's just like feeling, that groggy jet lag feeling. It's literally like having that five days of the week. While always aspiring to be on air, Cara got her start behind the scenes. Once I got into IMG, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to try and learn how the whole system works and, and build my way up behind the camera. I'd always tried to do things that would, that would be good experience on my resume when the time came. It was then only a matter of time before Cara was able to, if you'll pardon the Golf Channel pun, get her big break. Kelly Tillman was there on the live from set covering, you know, this major championship from site. And I thought that's such a cool job. I'd love to do it. And, you know, I have to pinch myself that I'm able to do that now. While you listen, visit credentialsonly.com for show notes that include more information on what we discussed in this episode. And please take a minute to leave a review wherever you access podcasts. Without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with the Golf Channel's Cara Banks on Credentials Only. Cara, thanks for joining us you hosted Morning Drive for about three years, which starts at 7 a.m. What was your sleep schedule like? That is a great question. I have not spoken about this for a few years. Uh, it wasn't good, is the short answer. And I, just to first off say, I'm someone who loves their sleep. You know, some people can just get by on five hours sleep a night. I'm like eight hours or nothing. Um, but that changed a lot. Um, yeah, when I joined Morning Drive, my alarm used to go at 3.15 a.m., and I, I would literally just get up, shower, put on, put on some sweats. Obviously, we were very lucky to have a great hair and makeup team in the building. So I didn't need to worry about looking presentable. But um, yeah, I would be there by 4 a.m. Uh, to, to start the hair and makeup process. And then uh, we would have a production meeting at 4.30, planning to be, as you said, live on air at 7 a.m. And then at 5 o'clock, we'd kind of have time to start some of our own research and write scripts and have some breakfast and... And then um, get dressed and go back into makeup and kind of in studio from 6.30. And the most, not the most important part, but a key part of the routine would be the return to bed after the show for, for, for a nap. Which I have to say, it, it took me a while. When I first moved here, my now husband wasn't here full time. Um, so I was here a lot on my own, which kind of made it a bit easier to just be quite boring and antisocial. And some nights I would just go to bed at 7 p.m. And, and get my cherished eight hours. But it took me a while to figure out how to kind of work the schedule in the, in the best way that, that does suit you and so that you can be as productive as possible for as many hours in the day. And ultimately what I learned was to come home, get back to bed for an hour or so, and then I would, I would wake up at noon and, and just go straight to the gym and work out, which would immediately get you out of that funk, you know, that you often feel from a, from a middle of the day nap. So that's how it kind of rolled for three years. It's almost like consistent jet lag. Exactly. That is exactly what, that's how, it, that's how I would explain it to people. I said, it's just like feeling that groggy jet lag feeling. It, it's literally like having that five days of the week. Because then you want to have a regular life and have friends and you know, you're trying to meet people in a new, you, like you said, you moved over from London, you're trying to make friends in Orlando. I don't really want to go to a dinner party though because I'll have my face in the soup before anybody even says hello. Right, I always said, thank goodness I didn't move to Orlando single because if I did, I didn't stand a chance on that, on that schedule for the first few years. Also because my days off to begin with were Tuesday, Wednesday. 
I was working Thursday through Monday. So, you know, my, my Friday and Saturday night was Monday and Tuesday night. So I was, I was never going to be that wild. So, yeah, fortunately, I now have a lot later alarm calls. Because you are doing Golf Central, how is that program different than Morning Drive? Actually, very different. Um, and for me, the transition's been brilliant. Um, obviously, different shows are suited to different people. Morning Drive is much more of a lifestyle program. So it, it covers all sorts of things around the game, travel, instruction, health and fitness, whilst keeping topical of what's going on in, in the professional game. But Golf Central is, you know, the leader of um, news production around golf. So we produce pre and post game every week around the PGA Tour. Obviously, we're structured around the PGA Tour, but we cover the European Tour, the LPGA Tour, and, and various others globally. But um, we're hardcore golf reporting, which is what I love and, and what I wanted to do. So Golf Central does actually run seven days a week, but it has a very different format, Monday through Wednesday. It's kind of just a, a daily news show at six o'clock every evening. And then Thursday through Sunday, which typically are the days I do, we do, you know, we do a 30 to 60 minute pre-game and, and post-game, depending on where and, and when the golf is being played that week. I think there's probably a particular challenge with that post game because of the way golf is designed on a Thursday and Friday in particular, you'll have players teeing off at seven, seven thirty in the morning. And by the time you come on, it's 12 hours later, as much as you'd probably love to sit there and watch all seven or 12 hours of coverage, I'm guessing you're not doing that. How do you keep up with what's happening on the course? Well, it's a really good point actually, because so the broadcast windows, you know, the timing of the broadcast window is obviously huge. Um, and on Thursday, Fridays, Golf Channel always airs um, PGA Tour coverage, but we only air one wave. We only air the afternoon wave every day. So yes, typically, you know, the whole morning, half of the field have already finished before we come on air. So the pregame is actually kind of a half a postgame for what, what happened in the morning. Um, and, you know, the great thing about today's world is there's obviously so much digital content you can keep up with in the PGA Tour now have the PGA Tour live platform, which essentially means that the morning wave that aren't in the afternoon broadcast window are available via PGA Tour Live, which is an NBC Sports Gold platform that you can anyone can subscribe to and watch online. We obviously have a feed that comes in through through the office. So I'm typically watching that while I'm prepping the show. And, you know, you have the live scoreboards and leaderboards um, and Twitter is a great resource um, for everything. So that's kind of how I tend to keep up with it. And then on on, on the weekends, typically we're going to be covering the leaders and, and they're all going to be in the broadcast window anyway. So during your morning drive show, you would get there around 4 a.m., show goes off at 9, you're probably leaving by 10 to get home for your nap. What are the hours like now that you're doing Golf Central and having to cover that full day of play? Yeah, that's a great point. So my, my husband, even though I think was relieved I wasn't having 3 a.m. alarms anymore. I was like, geez, you're gone for the whole day. <laughs> it, it is a much longer day. It's at, a, it's at a more sociable time, but it's definitely a longer day. You know, the beauty of morning drive is you are pretty much done by 10 o'clock in the morning and, and you have the rest of your day until you start to prep later that afternoon for the next day's show. But typically on Golf Central, I might go in at 10 o'clock um, for a 12 o'clock show. And then, you know, barring no weather delays, which is a frequent occurrence, um, we, I might be home at 7.30, so it's, I mean, it's not too bad at all, but it's, it's definitely more of a full day and we have that depending on, on, 
on where the golf is, but we tend to have, you know, anywhere between four to six to even seven hours between shows because sometimes they might put PGA Tour and then PGA Tour Champions coverage in before post-game comes on. So we could we could come home between shows or we could just stay in the office and watch or, you know, pop out and do an errand or two. So, um, yeah, it's, it's all good. It's probably unlikely that there's going to be a lot that is breaking news during morning drive just because of the time of day. So you can probably get a little bit more scripted for that show and kind of know this is exactly what we're going to cover. When you're going into Golf Central, especially on the post game, you're really reacting to what's just happened. Has that changed your preparation because you, you can't really know what you're going to talk about till you see what has happened that day on the course? Yeah, I mean, definitely the preparation for pre and post game is very different, particularly something like... Um, you know, these charity matches we've just had, we, we covered the, the Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, Ricky Fowler, and Matt Wolf one. And, you know, that was the first show that we were going back in the studio for since the players. And we were on site for the players, so, so before that. But, you know, we had, there was so much buildup to that pregame show being produced. We could, we, obviously this is an extreme, but we could prep that to no end. But then as soon as that's done, the golf happens, it's very hard to prep for a post game because you're really reacting to what you've just seen. Um, which is why you really need to be dialed in and be watching the action and kind of keep, because as long as, for me personally, as long as I've watched what's happened, then that's fine. I'm confident enough in my own abilities that I can, I can react to, to any sport, whatever it is, obviously, as long as I've seen it. I don't need to be scripted for that because half the time we're just, we're, we're doing highlights and I'm asking the analyst's opinion. I'm, I'm there to really pose the questions. So, and if breaking news comes in, then that's, that's when a brilliant team of producers work their magic and often say there's something in the prompter for you, take a look, or I've emailed you something, take a look, or, you know, they wouldn't throw me on a limb and get me to talk about something I have nothing about, obviously. And I have trust in them. If, if something's come in and I've just got to read it, then, then that's what we'll do. I was actually going to ask specifically about breaking news because this might be something where you're hearing it the first time it's coming out of your mouth. And that's got to be a unique challenge. Do you get more comfortable just having some reps of doing that? Or is it still always a, one of the more nervous things that you have to go through? I think you get more comfortable with it, but also let's be real. There isn't anything that groundbreaking in golf <laughs> that breaks. So, you know, so, out of out of character that would throw us that off guard i mean i look at the players and what happened obviously with what was developing with with coronavirus and and the unknowns and you know typically i have an idea of something that's going to happen just before going on air or in a commercial break it's very rare that i'm in a situation where i'm literally on the air and they say we've got to get to this now usually you've at least got a commercial break to have a quick you know head to head with your producer over talk back and figure out what's going on um i think it was the thursday of the players when uh the first round of the players when um the pga tour decided to play without fans and you know all of a sudden everything kind of got thrown up in the air and we were i was on the early live from so we were in for i think a 6 30 meeting in the morning and then i was in makeup on set and all of a sudden they you know uh, we're trying to get Dr. John Torres from NBC on to give us a medical view on what we didn't know much about back then. And he sort of hustles quickly, get on set and get the interview done. But, you know, I've, I've usually been prepped. It's very rare that I've been, I've been left out in the dark to do that. But then, as you say, it just all comes down to trust. And there's obviously going to have to be a lot of trust with you and your co-hosts and the reporters who are on Golf Channel. How do you develop that rapport with all these different personalities that you go on air with? I think just reps from working together. 
Um, you know, I, this sounds like such a cliche, but I'll never forget when I did join Golf Channel um, and it was morning drive to begin with, you know, I had relocated my life from England to Florida. So it was a, it was a big decision and move on, on my part and, and their part. And it, and it did feel like walking into a family, you know, I'll never forget walking into that first production meeting. And then obviously for morning drive, you're all sort of in it because you're all up at crazy hours and you're all in the building at 4am and, and no one else is. And then when I moved to Golf Central to begin with, I did feel a bit of an outsider because I was like, oh, I know that team and I don't know this team. Um, but it's just, it's just reps. As soon as you guys have all worked a few shows together and I think been on the road together, I think when you've traveled to, to tournaments and, and, and you're on site, that's, that's a different level as well. But you just, you just get to know each other really well. And, um, you know, we, we cover a few fun events. Like we used to do um, the match play bracket special for the WGC event in Austin. And that involves all going to Austin for a couple of nights, which is good fun. And we produce like a glamorous uh, show in the evening at, at one of their hotels. And um, now I feel like I just know the guys so well. And it's just, a, it's just such a comfortable feeling when you, you know, I feel like I could call on any of them at any time if I needed. What are the ways that it's different when you do that live from when you're at the venue in Austin or at the players in Sawgrass? How is it a different experience for you when you're sitting in that chair? Because you're still looking at the same camera with the same lights on you behind the same desk or something very similar, right? Yeah, but for me, that's just, I, that's what I love. I just love being on site because, I mean, I, I love the, the TV studio as well, but it's so important that we have these weeks because it keeps us connected because what's so big about those weeks as well, in my opinion, is what happens when you're off air because we're right there. I always try and take advantage of being on site, going to media center, um, you know, listening to a few of the press conferences, walking onto the range or the practice area, seeing a few of the players and caddies and just keeping up the relationship that you have with everyone in the industry, agents, whoever it might be. And, you know, learning a bit more, perhaps on the practice days, I might go and walk a couple of holes with a couple of the Europeans who I haven't seen or something. So for me, I love that part of it. And then there's just a buzz about being on site. You know, the, the, the players is, as you've seen, such an awesome set with the 17th hole as the backdrop. So that adds a whole nother dynamic because, you know, I'll never forget a couple of years ago there we, we were on air and, and it was, I think Thursday or Friday and Tiger Woods was coming around as part of his first or second round in the morning wave. And, and we turn around and it's right there behind us and we can react. And obviously we've got all, all the shots on footage if there's a hole in one or, or whatever there might be. So it's just, a, it's just an extra dynamic that really does change it. By its very nature, Golf Channel is really, really deep in the weeds on golf. For you, do you play a lot of golf? Have you had to hone up a little bit here on some of the technical aspects of the game through, through this year? I mean, you covered golf before you came to the U.S., but, you know, there's, there's a lot of deep dive into the sport that happens on Golf Channel. Yeah, fortunately for me, you know, I grew up with a, with a dad who played golf, well, dad who was entrenched in the golf world and a mom who's entrenched in the ski world. And then my sort of middle of the road passion I did a lot to begin with as you know was tennis but I grew up understanding a lot about the sports world in general and when it came to golf and I and I started working at IMG I felt like I had an advantage because I just understood the sport so well and even though I never played at a high level and, and that's a question I get a lot over here because obviously the college system is so incredible over here and it's not something we really had access well if you're incredibly good in England you'd come over here but it's not something that that was really on our uh, radar back in England but I knew that I understood the ins and outs of the sports I, I had walked 
countless holes year after year after year with, with my dad often playing in competitions. So I knew that, especially to be a female broadcaster in a sometimes predominantly male sport, obviously not because we've got the LPGA tour, which is fantastic and, this, and the same in, in most sports now, but I felt like I really needed to prove that I knew my, my subject matter. And um, so I feel very confident in that ability. And then I'm also very aware of my role. My role is not to be an analyst. My role is to be the host. So yes, of course, I'm, I'm going to have opinions sometimes, but it's not my job to comment on what their swing looks like or how they should have played the hole because I'm not a professional, never have been, never going to be. So, so that side of things. And, and I think on Golf Central, that's very clear. On Morning Drive, sometimes you're, you, the lines blurred a little bit just simply because of the nature of the show that you would comment on things more than perhaps you would have done naturally. I have a lot of guests who come through your studios. How do you prepare for those? The internet. <laughs> <laughs> generally reading and reading um you know if it's obviously I, i'm keeping on top with what's happening as as we all are across the entire season for whatever sport we work in predominantly um so i've always got an idea of if you know if it's a player what they've been doing um uh, how well they've been playing and there's there's usually a reason they're coming in whether it's to do with that or, or something something else they need to promote but you know i just Social media is so good these days because it gives us such a dive into everyone's personal lives if they choose to do that, doesn't it? So, you know, it's always just worth having a look over their, their, their Twitter and, and Instagram handles. And for me personally, I know that I, I'm much more personal on my Instagram handle, which is still public. But then whereas my, my Twitter handle, I use that more professionally, I would say, um, and more work related. But um, and then, you know, I just read articles and um, we, we've got a great research team at Golf Channel who provide us with weekly clippings and, and stuff. So in case you've missed any, any certain articles coming out, um, our, our team on golfchannel.com do a great job. So you just got to keep reading, really. Is it different when it's going to be a live guest joining you on set versus something that's a pre-taped interview that's going to be part of a package or part of a, a different type of program? Not for me, because I try, my kind of mantra has always been to just try and be the same person off camera that you are on camera. So I, I always try and be very natural and normal. So I don't feel more pressure for a live interview compared to a recorded interview. Because my take always is, if, you know, if something goes, which it hasn't really, I've been very lucky, but if something goes wrong, wrong in live, you just sort of roll with it or you know make the necessary adjustments because i think everyone understands stuff happens but you know but i guess just the the, the beauty of a pre-recorded interview is is if the interviewee often isn't comfortable with something that they've said you can you can stop down and re-record you've mentioned some of the team that's around you research producer but paint a broader picture how many other people are involved we'll see the hosts on camera but there's a whole ecosystem that exists to put that show together who else is involved in making these programs oh my gosh I, yeah just we have the best team that obviously none of this would happen without and i think given what the world's been through recently i think it's kind of made everyone really sit back and reassess even more how valuable people are around them and um you know again i i harp back to this um this rory mcelroy charity event that, that, that took place at seminole a few weeks ago and the planning that had to go into deciding who could come back in the building for that. And there was only 20 people. And look, I don't, I will admit, I don't have day-to-day -day contact with probably a quarter of those people at least. Um, technically, I've, I 
as you may know, my background was actually in production, non-live production though, before, before I got into hosting, but live production is something I never really experienced. So I get a bit um, confused about EVFs, EVS operators and graphics operators and this, that and the other, as you will know. But um, I know um, the faces of our incredible team. And then obviously personally, um, on a name to name basis, all of our assistant producers, um, PAs who are cutting highlights, talking us through what to do to do on uh, most of our post game shows. But so to narrow it down, yeah, there, there's a host and analyst, there's a producer and then a coordinating producer who's sort of overseeing it. Um, and then there's a group of um, assistant producers um, who are really doing the hard graft of cutting highlights or packages or B-roll or whatever it is we're going to talk about, um, who make up our production team. And then obviously there's the audio technicians, there's the camera crew. Um, there's heaps of people that go into just putting a show on the air. You moved to Florida for Golf Channel after working on the program Golfing World, which is a weekly, more of a magazine show. How did that get put together? So that was very different because that was not live and we didn't have a studio. So I would travel to various tournaments on the PGA Tour, European Tour, LPGA Tour, Asian Tour, whatever it might be. And I would film, it was a 30 minute show once a week that went out on Sky Sports. So I would film interviews with players or whatever it might be, walk and talk on the golf course. And then I would also film links, stand up links, obviously to connect the whole show just out on the golf course with the backdrop. Um, so that was very different to being in a live studio because, you know, we could, we could stop and redo it anytime we wanted, but it was also a lot more kind of hands-on, which was great. And before I started hosting, I did actually the role of the predator on golfing world, which was before <laughs> it was presenter led. And, um, that was basically producer editor and we used to travel. I did on my own with a with a live view kit and an, an Apple Mac and the ability to edit on Final Cut Pro and I would sit down and set up my own interviews with a camera which I've had some reminders about setting up my home studio here given the current pandemic um, and then I'd yeah ingest it into my computer and I'd learn to edit a four minute feature and I'd send it back so I, I learned a lot um, doing that and then obviously when I began hosting I'd have I'd have a cameraman travel with me so that was a very different setup but i had done fortunately things like live at wimbledon and and live shows that involved studio sets that made the move to golf channel not so daunting when it was mainly live studios and you mentioned live at wimbledon um those days are crazy because they're just long yeah and then you do it again and it's not like golf where it's a four-day event it's the whole fortnight how are you keeping yourself plugged in and sharp and you know engaged on camera when you're on a 14-day run for something like live at Wimbledon well today at Wimbledon on record every night was my, <laughs> my go-to obviously when I was in England um that, that that event as you know it's just so special and it means so much to me because I grew up 10 minutes away from there I started work as a student pouring pims i don't know if you even know this in the pims and champagne tent at wimbledon 
um, I did that for a year. And then I was a day steward there for a year, like manning the queues and all that stuff. And I knew this was before my career had started and I knew I wanted to get in TV and I used to always knock on Mervyn Hall's door who is no longer there, but as we, as we know, used to run the whole media operation saying, you know, please can I have a job one summer and please can I do, eventually I got, I got a job, which is when you and I first met, which was um, organizing the, the post-match player interviews. Um, and I did that for years, as you know, so I, I know a lot about how that particular tournament, that slam and the operations media wise work, which is very helpful when it comes to doing, um, you know, a live all day, every day for a 13 day event uh, job, which was awesome for me to come back and do. But I think the answer to that is, you ju yeah, you've just really got to try and have a free calendar if you can that week around work and just stay dialed in because at a, at a grand slam like that, there's just so much going on with all the different matches left, right and center. It's impossible to watch all of them. You can keep an eye on the scoreboard. And you know, when we're up on air for live at Wimbledon, you're, you're doing a lot of match updates. So you, you get a grasp obviously of what's happening as it happens. And then I just think for me, the job's never done when the day's over, because although I'm off camera, I've then got to prep for tomorrow. So I really enjoy those sort of those shows that wrap up the day, like, you know, BBC had this today at Wimbledon show or something that just kind of give you a chance to sit back and, and do your sort of homework for the following day. You mentioned that you knocked on Mervyn's door and you know, that kind of got you into a little bit of the industry. Would that be advice you'd give? Just try to get in any way you can to anybody who's looking to aspire to get into this business? Yeah, I, you know, this is an example I, I often use when people ask me, to give you the honest truth, I emailed Mervyn Hall, non, not non-stop, but for two years to, to try and get a job in the media part at Wimbledon. And look, we all know this was only going to be a two-week job because it's only for, for one tournament. It's not like it was for, for a full-time job. And, and that is my attitude, just never give up because, you know, I was, I was given his contact and I knew it's what I wanted to do. But at the same time, there's lots of people that want to do certain jobs. So unless you're constantly reminding someone that you're there, they're probably going to, you know, they may well remember you and give you a call. But at the same time, if someone else has just messaged them asking for the job, they just want things to work out quickly, probably. And, and it's whoever's top of mind for them. So my advice is always to never give up, to keep knocking on the door. You know, I know it's annoying to kind of send another email and be like, hi, it's me. Just, you know, reminder if you need anyone. Um, but it does pay off eventually. So I think persistence is quite key. As you were growing up, were there any presenters you particularly admired? Yes, I don't know if you'll know her. She's called Davina McCall. Um, she's an English, she's not even in sport. She's, a, she's an entertainment presenter um, in, in England and she used to host you know, big cult shows like Big Brother and, and Street Mate was one. And anyway, I grew up you know, watching her at home with my family and I just loved her style, I think, and her nature. She was, she, I just felt like, I'd be watching this huge show and I felt like she was talking to me sitting at home. And I just loved that ability to do that and to make you feel so comfortable. And I just thought that's what I want to do. And then I did actually start in entertainment doing, I was a runner on a Saturday night chat show. And I soon realized that the entertainment world wasn't really for me and that my sports background just within my family made me more suited to that world. And then when I did get into sport at IMG, I loved it because I've always felt like you know, to have the statistics and numbers and, and history to work off is such a nice substance in, in the sports industry. And then once I was in the sports industry, you know, there's 
there's people naturally who are English because of where I grew up, like Claire Balding, Gabby Logan, who, who are two of the big female sports presenters there um, that I would look up to. And now, you know, once I moved here, it was fascinating for me to learn about how it works over here. And, and you know, now for me, Mike Tirico is someone I hugely admire um, at, at NBC. Um, and then I still love watching everything over here. So um, it's fascinating to watch, for example, how the, how the tennis slams are broadcast over here because I've grown up always watching them in England or being at them working and all of a sudden there I am turning on ESPN or whatever it might be to watch, um, well, Wimbledon or whatever it might be because last year I was on maternity leave so I didn't, I didn't get over there at all. How is the broadcast business different in the United States compared to England? That's a great question. And because I haven't really worked in live TV in England, I don't think I can give you a totally honest or fair answer. But from what I've heard for people who have worked in both is there's a lot more, the support network here is bigger in the sense of say, say the research team, you know, I mentioned that the golf channel department, we get given so many wonderful, um, resource notes that we can use week in week out for every single tournament and you know or should we be covering an olympics which i was looking forward to doing with nbc this summer but as we all know that will wait till next year you know the, the documents and and stuff that we get given are a huge help i don't know that that is as big a um resource or you know that in, in england in, in live television um otherwise i don't really know i can't answer that honestly just because i haven't done live tv as much over there you mentioned getting a start in IMG. What was that start? What were you doing with IMG? Well, I started out as a production secretary um, and I was working on something called the Kings of Clubs, which is a football soccer documentary. And I was booking producers flights and hotel rooms and basically helping the production manager put their shoot together. And then I kind of dotted around doing a couple of things for a few you know i started at img on a three-month contract um doing this this football documentary and then you know i've always been a big believer as well is once you've got a foot in the door make the most of it and and that's other advice that i always give is you know once once you have got your foot in the door introduce yourself to people make a good impression be a hard worker kind of nothing is nothing is too much um so anyway i then ended up doing um I think I was in the in the corporate films and commercials department for a while working on a rugby world cup commercial I then worked on the world series of poker Europe which was awesome um, and uh, with some guys from echo entertainment actually who I then recently bumped into working on the skiing for NBC so that was a big a big full circle come around from years ago but really I just dotted around for the first few months um, I joined in a March and then at the beginning of the following year I actually took a job as the personal assistant, the PA, to the managing director of European Tour Productions for a six month sabbatical cover. And everyone who got to know me at IMG said, oh, you know, you've got to do this or get you into golf. They knew, they knew how much I, I liked golf. And I said, but I don't want to be a PA. I was trying at that time to work my way up behind the camera as a producer to kind of learn how everything worked. Um, but it was the best decision I ever made. Um, that six months turned into two years because the, the lady who was on sabbatical never came back. And whilst I was literally taking minutes from European tour board meetings, and doing, doing my boss's expenses, you name it, I was also learning in my own time at the weekends how TV production worked because I would go and um, log on challenge tour and senior tour events. And I'll never forget there was this weekend in July, one summer, 
and all my friends, you know, had all these plans to be at the pubs and out in the sun and, I, and I'd committed to go and covering the challenge tour event in Wales, which is the feeder, the European tour. And I thought, oh God, what am I doing? Like, it's going to be pouring with rain. And I just had the best time again. Like it was such a good team. I really got on with the cameramen and the crew and, the, and it was just such a unity. And there I was stood on, you know, the seventh green or something next to my cameraman writing down the shots that he was filming so that the producer would have a log to then put the edit together. And I did that for years and then, well, for a year or two, I think. And then, um, and then Golf and World was born. So fortunately the, the producer asked me to come and come and be a part of that. Was being on air always something you were wanting to do or was there a specific thing that kind of made you go on that path? Yeah, I knew I always wanted to be on air from watching Davina McCall. Um, but I didn't know how to get there. And I think that is the hard thing for anyone looking to do that now because you have to be a little bit careful because a lot of people presume that everyone wants to be on air. And, you know, I'm sure the the bosses out there and, and, and the, all the senior leaders at these companies have plenty of people knocking on their door saying, you know, I want to be a TV presenter or whatever it might be. So I was very cautious of trying to go about it the right way. And I think in my head, there were two ways. And one of them was to treat it like acting and, and go to sort of, you know, present a school and get a show reel made and, and send that out. But I just felt like that wasn't really me. And that was a bit of a shot in the dark. So I, once I got into IMG, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to try and learn how the whole system works and, and build my way up behind the camera, as I said. And what I had always done is in my own time, throughout my kind of elder childhood years and, and college and, and beginning to think about my career, I'd always tried to do things that would, that would be good experience on my resume when the time came. So I actually had my TV break in Ghana, in Africa. When I was 18 years old, I went traveling for a bit after I finished um, school before I went to university. And I, I went to Africa with this company called Teaching Projects Abroad because they offered TV placements. And I was like, cool, you know what? I'm, this, this will be a great life experience, but it'll also be something that I can use as work experience in the future. And lo and behold, I ended up presenting the World Entertainment News on national TV in Ghana. So um, that was, that was, you know, crazy and the tapes were comical. And then when I was at, at college, I did student radio and, and stuff like that. So I'd always tried to have, you know, bits going on in the sidelines. And then I was just very fortunate at IMG that, that once Golfing World needed someone to host it, I was just a big part of the fabric already. They knew that I'd done bits, bits in my own time. And it was also the birth of the digital era and we were trialing out a lot of live view filming for stuff to stream online. And we, you know, we were, we were filming digital clips that weren't as big as they are now. So therefore I think I was able to, they were able to use me as someone who didn't have as much experience and was nice and cheap. It, it, you know, it was all a bit of a test back then. And, you know, digital media wasn't nearly as big as it is now. So it was a great platform actually for me to learn on because the other thing I always say to people is the best way to learn is just to do reps. You know, that the more you can do it, the better you get. In terms of learning, do you find yourself still when you watch other programs, other shows, other events, are you kind of keeping an eye on how people in the industry are doing their craft and, and getting tips from how people handle situations or ask questions? Absolutely. I think you can never stop learning and 
and stop growing. And you know this, because I always text you about it. Chris McKendry is someone that I'm always watching in the tennis world because to, she's doing, for me, kind of what I do for live from for golf at, at the majors. So I'm watching and, and, and not only loving the coverage, obviously, because I'm, I'm a fan first and foremost and, and enjoy watching it, but I find it fascinating to watch in other sports, you know, because I think you learn so much about how other people do something. And it's not obviously just from the host, it's the whole production team and, and how they choose to do it. So I love watching shows um, like that when it comes to tennis. But then, you know, with golf, um, I'm always watching all of our broadcasts, but it's slightly different because it's hard to watch the exact same role. I know Rebecca Lowe at NBC has become a good friend of mine, actually. She was a big support as another English woman who'd moved over here just before I did and and you I think the more you can watch obviously she does the soccer what other people do the more you can learn and, and try and improve yourself and you do like it or you know hate love it or hate it I should say have to watch yourself back sometimes because you need to you need to see how you're coming across to the viewer and and figure out you know how you can improve if you need to and part of that improvement probably gets helped when you do get the chance to do skiing, as you mentioned, or you had the Olympics coming up this summer. How do you embrace those opportunities to get out and do a different sport, changing it up from the golf routine? I love it. And, and I have to say, I'm very fortunate that Molly Solomon at, at, at Golf Channel and NBC is very understanding of the fact that I used to do a lot of other sports before I came here. While golf has always been my niche, you know, I've always had a, had a, you know, toe in the tennis world and, and skiing has been another big thing of mine. But my other belief is that to be a good sports anchor or host, I think you've got to be versatile. And that this is when you say, you know, who do you look up to? I used to look up to someone like Claire Balding in, in England, albeit anyone over here, you know, look at Dan Hicks. He does golf week in, week out. The Olympics come round and you think he's been covering swimming every single week because he just knows absolutely everything. And I think to be good at this trade, and to do our craft as we try to do our best, you just you do need to be able to learn any sport. Horse racing, for example, I've never professionally covered. I've always had an interest in it, and I'll watch the Kentucky Derby over here or Ascot or whatever it might be. And I think because sports have a lot of history to them and you can study a fair amount, and then you've just got to you've got to watch it and have a bit of a natural understanding, I think, of what's going on. You've mentioned a few people, but are there some specific individuals who have been a big influence on your professional success? And not only who are they, but what have you been able to learn from them or find in a mentorship or in, in that camaraderie even of just helping each other out? The biggest mentor to my career was, a, was my old boss, actually, who, who wasn't anyone on air or anything, but he's a guy called Tim Lacey came to our wedding, will always be a great friend of, of ours. And he was the man that, well, used to produce content for the European Senior Tour at IMG, and then was the man that headed up Golfing World. He's basically the guy that gave me my break and took a chance on me and knew, knew what I'd been doing and said, you know what, Sky Sports want us to produce this show with a presenter, you're the person for it, Cara, let's go. And I'll, I'll always be indebted to him for giving me that opportunity because ultimately that's, that's what you need. Don't you? you need someone to take a chance on you and, and trust you to do something. So he's always been someone that I'd be indebted to. And then, you know, when I moved to Golf Channel, Kelly Tillman was the person for me to, to look up to and learn from. And, and she's now stepped away and decided to, to really focus on family life. But um, she was incredible at what she did. And I'll never forget watching before I joined Golf Channel, I would watch, 
I'd be over here for Golfing World covering, I think it was the PGA Championship in Rochester. And I was watching coverage of the Golf Channel and Kelly Tillman was there on the live from set covering, you know, this major championship from site. And I thought that's such a cool job, I'd love to do it. And, you know, I have to pinch myself that I'm able to do that now. And um, I'm grateful to, to Kelly and to Rich Lerner, who's also been someone who I can just say, hey, Rich, how do you do this? You know, how do I, how do you best prep for these shows? And, and how do you write these scripts? And, you know, because we're always learning that there's, and there's no right formula. And I'll never forget Damon Hack saying to me when I first joined and I was on Morning Drive and I said, I think I'm figuring out how to do that, how to, you know, make this work. And he goes, well, let me know when you figured it out. For <laughs> me, Because there is no right way. It's whatever way works for you. And I think, you know, preparation is a very personal project, isn't it? Absolutely. With that in mind, what is your routine throughout the year to keep yourself dialed in? I mean, it can probably get to be grueling throughout the season and it's nice in golf where you kind of have major events scattered throughout the year to kind of, get ramped up for and your travel probably breaks it up. But what are you doing when you step away from the studio to just keep yourself kind of grounded and level and, and ready to go? The golf is always on in our house and <laughs> Sirius XM PGA Tour Radio is always on in my car. And it's funny that, you know, my husband is, is in the golf industry as well, but he's, he's a big golf fan, but he's the one that now begs me to turn the golf off because he's like, we've had enough. And I'm like, I can never have enough. You know, I've always got to scoop it up. But it's, but part of it is being a fan and part of it is obviously um, for professional use. But as you know, um, you know, golf doesn't stop usually when we're not in a pandemic and it's week in, week out. And the Golf Channel is such a good service and that it's always on. So I'll always have it on in the background. And it was hilarious. We, we had a baby in June last year and, you know, there was various US Open, the Open, various majors that we weren't at that we were able to sit at home and watch so golf was on a lot when when our boy jesse was tiny and then when he was a few months old you know we tried to put on the cartoons and he wouldn't be interested we put on golf and he'd just be quiet and mesmerized used to having on but um yeah i've just i've always you know i've typically always got if if there is live golf going going on i've always got it on in the background i'm not obviously sitting on the couch and watching every minute but and, and then twitter again is so good for for just keeping an eye on things um what's going on radio as i mentioned is a good resource podcasts i listen to as well although that tends to not be as current for the news but obviously more topical um and then i think it, i mean i admire people like i mentioned mike Tarico to keep up with all the sports at such a high level because that is an incredible skill and you know to be able to to do that is is something that we would all strive to do. It reminds me of when I do the skiing every year. So the last couple of years, I've, I've covered a couple of the US-based events for NBC Sports. And, you know, suddenly I'm stepping out of golf and stepping into skiing. And I will admit it, I have not watched every ski race of the season. But, you know, I will go back and I'll watch the highlights or I'll read up on the website what's going on. Again, I'll ask the research team that's there with NBC. And I think you just, as long as you're ready to go on air with enough information that you feel you need to do your job properly, then, then, then you're okay. As you look back, are there any stories that you're particularly proud that you've been able to, to tell during your career? That I've been able to tell on air? Yeah. Oh, well, um, you know, the passing of Arnold Palmer was a big moment for anyone 
that worked at Golf Channel because he was someone who, he was the man that launched Golf Channel. And without him, you know, none of us would have the job that we have now. So that's been one of the more memorable days. Um, and I suppose weeks um, because of everything that unfolded afterwards for me and my career. I will never forget, not that this is for a good reason, but I will never forget the Thursday at the Players when we were coming on air. We didn't know if the tournament was going to, you know, we were we were in the TV compound in the dark at 6.30 in the morning. We didn't know if the whole tournament was about to stop, was going to carry on, whether fans were going to come in, were going to go out, whether we were going to go on air, if we were going to get NBC's chief medical expert on the phone in time before he got on an airplane to, to get him on air. So... There are moments like that that stand out. Um, one of the proudest moments for me probably was to be involved with the 2017 World Golf Hall of Fame induction ceremony. I was able to host that um, in, in New York and that was incredible to have been asked to do it and to, to be with the inductees that year and, and involved in that process. And similarly, I did the Solheim Cup opening ceremony that year. So I've, I've, a couple of big stages I've really enjoyed doing, but... Um, Stories-wise, I'm not sure if anything else creeps up. This is probably an equally as hard question, so I apologize before even asking it. Who are some of the favorites to interview, the people who you know, are always really responsive? And it doesn't have to be limited to golf. You can go back in tennis or skiing. Just people who always are really good interviews, who you enjoy talking to. Well, first of all, I'd say I think that we're, we're really blessed to have the athletes that we have in in, in those a lot of those sports that you mentioned because everyone is typically wonderful to to work with and the the guy that that um screams to me is rory mcelroy because he is just you know he's the world number one but you kind of wouldn't know it which is so nice he's always been just very humble and very guy next door and will always have time for you and he gets that from his dad and i'll never forget and his dad jerry is is great guy as well and you'll often see him walking the fairways um and i did this piece with rory mcelroy and it was one of the last things i did before i moved here when i was working with golfing world and we we walked a hole at st andrews i think it was the week of the Dunhill links and i was asking him about his um you know attitude and, and he said my dad always told me it's nice to be nice and it doesn't cost you a penny and it was great advice and it really rung true with me and i think you know you watch rory's been on a roller coaster in his professional career no, and personal career no no doubt about it and one thing that seems to have remained fairly constant is his his honesty and his openness with the media and i think everyone appreciates and respects that too are there any people you hope you get the chance to interview who you haven't yet i'm lucky that in in golf, I've pretty much interviewed everyone that, you know, Tiger, not not loads of times, but I have interviewed him. Um, and then I I never got to interview Lindsay Vaughn, which would have been cool in the skiing world, or Bodie Miller. Both of those would have been pretty cool, but they both retired before I, well, or I wasn't at the races when, when Lindsay was skiing. Um, and then, again, in tennis, I feel very fortunate that I've I've interviewed, you know, most of the big names that are currently playing. There's obviously people that you look back at, like a Steffi and an Andre and people like that that would have been cool. But one piece that I used to do at Wimbledon that you may recall is we used to do these, as you know, um, on the Saturday and Sunday before the slam starts, you have the kind of the media day to do your, your preview interviews. And um, 
we went live at Wimbledon, we would always try and do something different because they were sitting down doing their formal interviews with all the with all the main broadcasters, and you know we would do do these silly quizzes, and it was just hysterical because I would have a Serena Williams like screaming in my face because she couldn't believe she got the answer wrong to what her winning formula was at Wimbledon, or you know Andy Murray crippled up laughing or whatever. So I feel very fortunate to have been able to do that. And again, I think the trick with these interviews is to try and be as normal as possible and not starstruck despite their huge level of abilities because you know you're going to have a more natural conversation if you can do that who's in the foursome for your ultimate round of golf oh should have given me advance warning on all of that. <laughs> um, well you know what to be uh, to be somber for a minute it would be my late brother who who sadly passed away um when he was 23 i was 25 and he never really saw me play, not that it's a sight to behold, but he, he never really, he, he, was, he used to play a town with my dad and um, he never knew that I got into this, into this line of work and he would have just loved it because he was a huge golf fan. So he would be one. Um, I play a lot of golf with my dad and my husband and I don't think they really enjoy it. So <laughs> ask them. Um, probably, yeah, Tiger, my brother, Tiger, and um, one of the one of the girls, which might be someone like Lydia Ko. That'd be a pretty pretty awesome round of golf right there. Quite an eclectic group, hey. But with someone like Lydia, I know she's struggled recently. You can compare it to someone like Jordan Spieth. But I'd be fascinated to just understand what it's like to be as big a prodigy as you are when she's 18 and talking of retiring at 30 and then all of a sudden loses a bit of what made her so great and tries to find it back which is what jordan's kind of, kind of been going through in in the men's game so some sort of crazy group like that and then what course does that round take place on oh yeah it would have to be augusta i've never played <laughs> i've never played augusta um, well, we were supposed to play Pebble Beach this year. My husband and I were taking my parents to California for their 70th, and we were looking forward to that. So I've not played there either. But yeah, it would have to be Augusta, because now having been there in a working capacity, to see that course in real life rather than on telly and really appreciate it. Yeah, and also my brother would think I'm the coolest sister in the world. So. All right, so I didn't give you warning of that question. I did give you some warning about the set pieces, what I use at the end of every episode here of Credentials Only. Mm -hmm. uh, and you mentioned that you're, you're a podcast listener. Um, what are some of the podcasts or even newsletters that you're using to keep yourself informed? Okay, well, first and foremost, a bit boring, but I listen to so many mum podcasts because I, well, not, I don't know if you can call me a new mum anymore because he's about to turn one, but I, I was last year, so I was like, help. What do I do? And I was going on, you know, endless walks every day with this baby in a stroller, and I was listening to so so much of that. So that is at the top of my podcast list. I have to. So okay, a couple recommendations if there are some new moms or expectant moms listening. Oh, okay, great. Well, again, they're English, but there's a, there's one called <laughs> Made by Mamas, and it's awesome. It's this girl called Zoe Hardman, who's actually a presenter in England, and her friend Georgie. So that would be my go-to one. So have a look at that. And then golf-wise, obviously, no laying up is something I always try and be tuned in with. The Pepper Pod is um, one that's kind of launched recently, actually, in, uh, in quarantine. And that is Eddie Pepperell, who's a 
one of the great players on the European tour, and Andrew Potter, who is a broadcaster, who you probably know from tennis as well, and that's very funny. So I enjoyed those. And then just, yeah, general sports ones, you know, the tennis podcast, I know Catherine and David do, and um, whatever I can find. You've also mentioned that Twitter is a go-to source for you. What are the most valuable files? And this can be both to keep up with golf, but then anybody else, moms or anybody else that you're, you want to make sure you see that post. My mom content is generally Instagram. Um, okay. Twitter is more, Twitter is more work. And for me, journalists are key on Twitter because um, they're typically unbiased. Um, and, you know, I think now print media is reduced hugely given the, you know, rise of digital media and, you know, the ease of being able to click on someone's link and read their article is, as we all know, fantastic. So, you know, Christopher Clary in tennis, I'm always keeping an eye on him and, and I have a kind of tennis list and a golf list going on a lot, but Ron Syrak is, is there's so many golf writers, but um, I really follow a lot of the writers and then also Golf Central, Golf Channel obviously have a handle, but Golf Central, the show I work for, have a handle, which is really helpful for me. Excuse me, particularly before I'm doing any any shows or anything, I can see exactly what we have and haven't covered. And and we also have a team of writers that work for GolfChannel.com, so I'm always reading their stuff. So yeah, I'm a bit of a nerd on Twitter. Twitter's much more kind of like worky for me. I'm a little bit intrigued though, because I'm similar to you in that I think the lists are totally undervalued on Twitter and it's an easy way to kind of manage that content because if you just have everything coming in, it kind of washes over you and it's too much. So how aggressive are you on kind of curating these lists to use to your advantage for this research? Well, I'm fascinated that you've said that because you can probably teach me a thing or two because I'm not nearly as good as I should be because they're a great idea in theory if you manage to get everyone in the lists because I'll start doing the lists and then something will happen. And then I've sort of got this half created list. So then I'm just end up back on the main timeline. But if I could have it all organized, which it sounds like yours is, so I need to delve into your social media account. It is a great idea because yeah, for example, you know, when I would go back and work at Hurlingham, you know, or then Wimbledon, whatever it might be, I don't really need all the golf stuff coming through my timeline there and then, because I don't, whilst I'm interested to know what happens at the French Open, I can find out you know at the end of the day or something so yeah i need to use them more because i haven't been using them very effectively but i think to be able to just go to one particularly if you cover lots of sports it's a really genius idea and i think you're right they don't get used enough it reminds me of the new tags that have come out on peloton which has been a big quarantine hobby of mine and i don't think it's the same thing like they could be used so well if people you know depending on on how they set it up when I've asked this question previously, it's mainly been Twitter, but you did mention Instagram. Who do you make sure to catch their posts on Instagram? Well, golfers actually, someone like Ian Poulter is great on Instagram. Because as we know, Insta stories are, are a huge thing now compared to the grid. So um, Ian Poulter would be a big one that I, that I always follow um, for golf. Do you know who I love in tennis is, um, is Svetlina in Monfils. I love their... Oh, yeah. Um, so, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of moms and just friends, like I have a lot of personal stuff on Instagram. So, you know, we live over here and a lot of our friends are back in England. So if for me, it's just a great way for keeping in touch with friends and family. And obviously with us having had a baby over here, all of our family, except for my mother-in-law are on Instagram. So <laughs> I know that if I'm putting something up on there, they all see it at least. So you don't need to send it to, to, um, every single person. What are a couple of books you'd recommend people to read? 
Okay, I'll be honest. I can't remember the last time I finished a book. Well, and I'm going to put that down to a couple of things. One is obviously we've, we've had a, a child recently, but the other is I spend so much time reading for work. So I do so much reading for research that I don't often get the time or make myself sit down and read a book. And I think the, um, which I know you're going to ask me about in a minute, so I won't, <laughs> of, uh, you know, the Netflix boom and everything else. That's how we kind of, unwind often is watching a series but I will say a really old classic that I'll never forget reading is The Horse Whisperer. I was also reminded of a really old classic when uh, Jessie was born that my godmother gave me and it was and she gave me the book and an audio version which she'd made her husband record every single word of is Charlotte's Web which I know is a children's oh, book. Yeah. She says she reads it every year because it gives her, you know, reminds her of life's lessons. But I will tell you the book I'm currently working on and reading, and it is on my bedside table. And I really enjoyed opening it up and, and reminding myself how nice it is to read a book again is, is Michelle Obama's Becoming. And that is not for any political reason, because I can't, I don't have the ability to vote over here anyway, because I'm not a citizen. But I, I you know, sorry to give away what might be your next question, but we did <laughs> the House of Cards, which I loved. And I know that's a real old school one too but I'm fascinated to learn more about life in the White House and, and what, what that existence must have been like. And so I've, I'm really only in the first chapter of it, but I'm fascinated to see how that book develops. And that's a Netflix special that I recommend checking out too, is Becoming. That, that was pretty, yeah, pretty saw good. It. I mean, I haven't seen it, but I saw it pop up, so I'd like to watch that. Okay, so you're streaming House of Cards. What else? What are you guys plowing through when you're not watching golf? Yeah, so, well, there hasn't been much golf to watch recently, have there? So we've been really enjoying um, w watching lots of seasons. Now, so we finished House of Cards, loved it. Homeland, we've just finished as well, also loved it. If you haven't watched it yet, Breaking Bad's obviously a goodie. Um, we've just started Ozark, which I'm really enjoying on Netflix. You know what? I don't know if I'm going to be the only person in the world to say this, but <laughs> Tiger King just didn't really do it for me. And I think everyone thinks I'm crazy, but I, I watched it too late. So I'd, I'd heard so much hype about it. Reminds me of when Bridget Jones first came out. You know, I'd heard all the hype before I watched it. And so I was a bit, un, you know, I was a bit oversold on that one, but we watched it and it is wild. Um, but yeah, those would be, those are, those are the seasons we've been working through recently. Peaky Blinders is another great one. Okay. Uh, your favorite sports memory as a kid? My favorite sports memory as a kid, can, can it, does this need to be a professional sport or can this be in the family? Yeah. So it my, can be whatever you want it to be. My, my, uh, my favorite memory without doubt would be, and I was, wasn't really a kid, I was in my twenties, but, um, and I mentioned my brother, it would be when it was the summer before he sadly died and he and my dad won and they became the first father and son duo to win the, the foursomes event which is called the downs at our club which is rolson courts of deal um down in kent which is actually right next door to royal st george's where the open was due to be this summer but will now be right. next and every year they have an awesome week it's called deal week and it's an open week in uh, in august and members guests visitors everyone can come and play and this particular tournament is um a, a two-man team playing alternate shot and you play six rounds in three days it's knockout if you keep progressing and they won and i walked the whole thing with them and i'll never forget and i took this picture of them on the 18th green and it was um you know one of one of the 
fondest memories we had of my brother when he sadly left us and, and we still have that picture now and I'll never forget you know the pride that I saw in my dad and now I understand being a parent myself you know what that must mean so I'll that will always be my number one probably. Lastly do you collect your credentials and if so where is that collection? I used to I do I used to and and you know those Wimbledon ones they're so big as well um I I did used to but my husband thinks I'm a bit of a hoarder and we a moved country and then b moved house since moving over here to Florida so now I'm a bit more streamlined I'm afraid and I don't I don't keep them all I think I might have last year's PGA Tour one but but that's it so that's a bit boring quite interestingly my husband does and he has them all on his office handle and then why am I clearing them out when he's telling me I'm a hoarder that was total contradiction but there we go that's marriage um anyway my my husband this is really irrelevant but he shaved his head a couple of years ago anyway our baby obviously now knows who he is and he was like crawling through there the other day and found these credentials and obviously found the one that he knew as is like dada and then I picked up the one when Ollie still had hair and he had not a clue who this person was. That was quite funny. But yeah, no, I don't keep mine anymore. Do you keep yours? I do. I have all of them, uh, almost all of them. And actually, when I started this podcast, I kind of went through because I wanted to I use it as a photo on the website. And when I went through and dug them out, I was like, oh, my gosh, there, there's like probably 500 credentials here. But it was cool for me because I wasn't. Yes, which is disaster that's just a hot mess and and but i because i just bring them home and i just throw them usually on the door handle of the office and then eventually after they start slipping off i put them into a little like tupperware on the shelf in my office and i, I had forgotten about so many of them so it was kind of fun to get it out and look back at them and i actually used it because i was like how many times have i done wimbledon or done some of these events right. that you know 15 years on i don't remember what year i first went there so to be able to look back oh yeah this was the first one was kind of a, uh, a cool exercise, a nice trip down memory lane. Which I think is exactly why I, I wish I had had them, because you can kind of work it out in your head, but if you really have the credentials from every year, it's pretty cool to look back at how many you've done. Thank you so much for taking the time. Look forward to seeing you uh, covering golf again very soon as the, the seasons resume around the world. But appreciate your time and your insights and for joining me here on Credentials Only. Yeah, enjoyed it. Thanks, Pete. Thank you. So much of Cara's advice about how to get any experience you can and then work really hard to make the best possible impression rings so very true for me. Many thanks to her for sharing so much of her experience with us on this episode of Credentials Only. Thanks also to you for listening. Please take a moment to leave a review wherever you are listening. And if you liked it, please tell a friend. Don't forget, you can find more information on what we discussed in this show on the notes at credentialsonly.com. And while you're there, drop us your email address so we can slide into your inbox when we have a new episode to share. Credentials Only is a Holter Media production, and thanks to Mike Mouche for editing this and every episode. Until next time.